We've been starting our journey from this year looking in the Gospel of Mark. And Mark's Gospel really answers one fundamental question, and that comes in chapter 4, where you remember that the disciples are in the boat and they're going over to the other side because Jesus says, come on, we need to go there. Going over the other side of the lake. And a massive storm comes up. And Jesus is fast asleep. And we looked at this last week, but he's there sleeping and the waves start coming over the side of the boat and they start to panic. And finally, Peter wakes up Jesus and says, Jesus, don't you care if we're going to drown? And Jesus gets up and he just says to the, the wind and the waves, quiet, be still, sort it. And it's as calm as you can imagine. And the disciples, or Jesus says to his disciples like, you guys got no faith at all. Like, I'm in the boat with you. We're not going to drown, right? And they turned to one another and they asked this question. They were terrified, terrified at the power they see in Jesus, that even the wind and the waves obey him. And they say to each other, who really is this? Who is Jesus? And the whole of Mark's gospel answers that question. He starts with the answer. But then through the stories and the narrative of Jesus, he kind of unpacks it as we go along. But he starts with this, the beginning of the good news, the gospel about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So right at the outset in verse 1, he says that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one that's come for the people of Israel, and he is the Son of God. But he then Mark goes on to explain, really, what does that really mean? What is it to be the Messiah? What is it to be the Son of God? And last week, we started to look at it, and we said that it means that Jesus is one that has authority. If you're God's Son, you have the authority of the powers of heaven, right? And in fact, it's kind of apposite that Matthew 28 finishes with these words, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples, right? And then Mark starts with this, the same question. So Jesus is the one who has authority. And that's what we're going to look at through the Gospel of Mark. And that means that he has authority over every single area of your life and my life where we feel powerless, where we feel that we don't have the control. We know that Jesus Christ has the control. He has the authority to make a difference. Amen? And so we're going to look at it today. Last week we looked at that at the start, but today we, we skipped a bit last week. And that was from Mark Chapter 1, verses 9 to 13, which is Jesus' baptism and then his temptation. And we're going to look at that this week. It says this, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Now we'll see in Mark's gospel that he's very concise in what he writes, right? So we often have to go, and we'll do that today, go somewhere else to really kind of unpack uh, what, what he's really talking about. 
But let's just think about it. Today we're going to look at this bit. He was tempted by Satan. Right at the outset of Jesus' ministry, he was baptized in the Jordan by John. And then God comes down on him and anoints him and says, you know, this is my son. I'm pleased with him, even though Jesus hasn't done any ministry yet. I love him. I'm well pleased in him. And then it says the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by Satan. Jesus has authority over temptation. How many of you ever are tempted? Don't tell me I'm the only one. Right? All of you. True? I know you just don't want to raise your hand, but I know that in your heart, your hands are going up. We struggle with it, don't we? With temptations of various kinds. Jesus understands, but he has overcome. He has the authority over temptation. That's what we're going to look at today. You know, temptation is a key theme in the Bible, right? The apple, what was that all about? Temptation. You can do anything you like in the garden, eat anything but not that. And what happened? That apple just grew and grew in its size, right? And then the enemy comes. Did, you, did he really say that? Are you sure? Are you, you, I think you might have got that bit wrong. Why don't you just try it and see? And the apple looked good. I know, oh yeah, I need that. You see, temptation is powerful. Right? Let's not just kid ourselves. Temptation is extremely powerful. If you have tried to resist temptation, you know how powerful temptation is, right? It's not easy to resist. Why did Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, say, one of the key things you've got to pray about is, and lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, right? Or lead us not into temptation. Because God knows how strong and how powerful temptation is. And it's powerful in a number of ways. Firstly, it's powerful in its continuity. For 40 days, the devil was chipping away at Jesus. Right now, most of us, when temptation comes, we can resist it, right? You see something there. Let me take a, a silly example. You see a piece of cake that you're not supposed to have. Perhaps it's not a silly example, but you know what I mean. If it's just there, you can generally go, no, you know what, I'm, I'm diabetic, I shouldn't be having this cake, but boy, it looks good. No, I'm going to resist, and you walk away. You can do that once, right? But the power is in his continuity. What happens? It's like this, right? I walk along the street, and I'm feeling hungry because I miss breakfast. And I see a cake shop, and in the cake shop are these beautiful cakes that are there. And what happens? My eye just kind of glances in the shop window. And then I go, oh, they look tasty. Seriously tasty. No, I shouldn't have one. I've been putting on weight lately. I, need to, I can't even get in my trousers anymore. It's getting a bit embarrassing, right? So, no, resist. What happens? You just keep walking. So I keep walking. What happens? Every other shop is a cake shop in that street, right? That's what it feels like, doesn't it? You go there and you go, oh, not another one. And this one looks even better than the last one. No, 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 no. Get behind me, Satan. No, I'm not going to look at the shops. So what do you do? You look out into the street, 
What do you see in the street? A bus going by with a big cake on the side of it. And you're like, no, this is not fair. Right? And that's the problem with temptation. Everywhere you look, it just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. It's not just giving, saying no once, is it? It's, it's then it happens again and again and again and again. You go home and you think, thank goodness I'm off the street. I'm now home. You turn the television, shop, uh, television on and what happens? The adverts are there. Or there's some baking program that it happens to just come up with and you're like, no, no, no. It's, you know what I mean? It's just everywhere. And it just keeps going and going and going and going until you finally give in. And it was like that with Jesus for 40 days. Satan was there going, let me just keep tapping away. Let me just keep, keep pressurizing. Let me just keep enticing you. Let me just keep reminding you. We've only got the three temptations in the Bible, but he said he was tempted for 40 days. Satan was with him, chipping away. Can you imagine what that's like for 40 days, 40 nights, that whispering in your ear all the time? Come on, come on. And you're tired and you're exhausted and you, your resistance starts going down and down and down and down and down, doesn't it? And you go, come on, how, how long do I have to do this? And you don't know it's only going to be 40 days, right? It just keeps on coming. The power is in the continuity. Secondly, it's in its focus. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, it says. Now, why? Why would the Spirit do that? Jesus said, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But here we have the Spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness. Why? Well, I think for two main reasons. And we will just kind of gloss over them. Firstly, because of the focus. The people of Israel were looking for Jesus, the Messiah. And what did they understand the Messiah to be? The one who would come and kick the Romans out and establish the Jewish nation. Right? The people of Israel. It's our homeland. But Jesus wanted to, them to see and had to battle what? Not externally, but internally. He said, I've not come to throw out the Romans. Not, not at this time. I've come to release the prisoners and the captives to set everybody free internally. And the problem is with temptation is our focus because often we think of the temptation as something external. It's about the cake or it's about me being like this or me being like that. And really the issue is not out there, the issue is in here. It's within me. This is where the struggle goes on in my heart and in my head. Not out on the streets. We'll come back to this in a minute. But Jesus wanted us to see, firstly, that the focus is a spiritual battle. That it's about what's going on inside of you and of me. And really what that means. And I said, we'll unpack that in a second, a little bit more. And thirdly, it's about history. The temptations of Jesus, he was undoing, in a sense, or or uh, helping to overcome what Israel couldn't do when they went through the wilderness. Israel, when they went through the wilderness, they fell, didn't they? They kept on messing up and sinning. And Jesus was saying, I am the Messiah 
who can overcome those same things where you felt I didn't fall. But the, the power of temptation is in its history as well because what happens? You get tempted on something that you've messed up in the past. And what does your mind do to you? He says, David, you, you failed then. And David, you failed then and then and then and then. What makes you think you're going to succeed now? Give it up. You're no different. Why do you think you're any different now than when you were before? You know, if you've got a temptation towards anger, right? You got angry there, you lost your temper when somebody cut you up in the car. You got angry there when somebody upset you and, they, and you started thinking negative things about them. You got angry here. Why, why do you think in this situation you're not going to get angry again? And that history keeps going on in your head. How are you going to break this cycle? I keep doing the same thing. I keep falling into the same traps over and over again. And the enemy kind of uses that and says, you're never going to be any different. So what's the point in even trying to resist temptation? Because you know and the devil knows that you're going to fall into the same trap all over again. And Jesus went into the wilderness to say there can be a difference. There can be a different option. Just because it happened in the past doesn't have to happen again. It can be different this time. But there is power in that voice in your head and in your heart that says, you know what? You did it before. You keep on doing it. Nothing's ever going to change. It's part of your DNA. It's in your history. It's who you are. Temptation is powerful. In so many different ways. But let's read a little bit closer. Matthew has a kind of an expanded. Mark just says he went there, he was tempted, boom, done. Matthew expands on it. Matthew chapter 4 says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Understatement of the year, right? Anybody gone without 40 days and 40 nights without any food? You're more than hungry, trust me. He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. If you will bow down and worship me, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Amen. Jesus had three temptations that are recorded, right? But really they say the same thing. First, it's the lust of the flesh. Tell these stones to become bread. Really, what is the devil saying to him? He's saying, you know what? If you're really the son of God, if God really loves you, as you've just sung about this morning, 
then surely he will give you out the storehouses of heaven everything that you need to satisfy every want that you have. He, he can do it. He can give you anything you want, and you really want these things. You need these things. You need them. They're, they're impulses. It's the way that God has made you to be. And he can give you whatever you, you desire and you need, and you know you need this. And therefore, why is he not doing it? Why is he not doing it? Maybe he doesn't love you like you say. You sing about it, but do you really believe that he loves you when, when you have these desires and these cravings and these temptations? How can God say that he loves you like this when you still have? You're not satisfied. And he's promised to satisfy all your needs. And he doesn't. So just do it yourself. You satisfy your needs. That's the first temptation. Second one is this. The heart. Throw yourself down from the top of the thing and, and it says the angels will just protect you. See, because you know what? You're a son and a daughter of God. You, you, you are somebody in the kingdom. God, God has raised you up from a nothingness to a something, and He's not going to let anything harm you. Nothing is going to come in your way to, to cause you any trouble like that. And if you were to leap off of there, God will show you just how much He really cares and how special you really are, because He won't let you come to any harm, will He? How can a God of love, how can a God that really cares for you show that He cares for you if you jump off of here and just go splat on the ground? That's not a God who cares. So why don't you just jump? Because you are special. And that's pride, isn't it? It says I'm something more. I'm going to put God to the test to prove to me that he loves me as he should love me. And Jesus said, don't do that. And then there's the lust of the eyes, materialism. All this can be yours. All these kingdoms can be like, you, you don't have to go the way that you want to go through the cross and all that. that that's messy. That's difficult. That's, that's, no, 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 no. We, you can just do this. Go this way. I can give it all to you. You know, I can, I can just give it. And, and if God really loves you, he can open up the storehouses of heaven and he can give it all to you. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to... Don't have to do anything for it and just bow down and worship me, and it's yours. Simple way. It's a shortcut. Don't have to do the other way. Just go this way. It'll be sorted. It'll get you what you want. It'll all be yours. And you'll live happily ever after. Jesus was tempted like we are. But really it comes to this. All of these temptations come to this. Temptation causes you to question your identity. That's number one. And secondly, it causes you to question the goodness and the sufficiency of God. Let me unpack that. Firstly, all temptation causes you to question your identity. I brought a mirror in today. Prayer spaces use this in the schools, actually. But when you look in a mirror, what do you see? Well, there are two choices. When I look in the mirror and I really look at myself, which I'm not going to do while I'm preaching, 
That's just really off-putting. But when you really look at yourself, what do you see reflected back at you? Well, you can see what you think of yourself and what others have said about you. When I look in the mirror, I remember that teacher that said, you know what, David, you'll never amount to much in life. I mean, you try, but really, you just don't make the grade. I remember the guy that said to me, you know, your marriage, your marriage is born in hell and will die in hell. That's what your marriage will be like. I remember feeling for myself things like, you're never going to make it. You think you'll make it, but you never really will because you're not really that good. Or things like, you know what, you're not gifted enough. You're not special enough. You compare yourself to other people and you see how God blesses them and there's something wrong with you because God doesn't bless you in the way that he blesses them. And all these things go on in your mind, right? Maybe I'm not attractive enough. Maybe because I don't have hair on my head, why would God make me bald like this? Maybe if I did this, maybe if I did that. And we look at ourselves and we see the definition either that we've given to ourselves or that other people have given to us through life. And you remember every single one, don't you? Every single one that cut into you. You can still remember them. Every teacher, every parent, every, every friend that turned their back on you. Every time that you looked at yourself and you just wondered, Am I ever, is anybody ever going to love me, really love me for who I am? When you really look in a mirror... What do you see? Or you can look in the mirror and see what God sees in you. You can look in this mirror and remember all the promises of God. He says what? You're fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. I knit you together in your mother's womb. You know what? I know when you sit and when you rise, I even perceive your thoughts from afar. That's how intimate I am with you. You know what? I sing over you because I am so overjoyed every time I think about you. You know what? I have your name written on the palm of my hand. And you can define yourself either by what people have said about you and what you think about you. Or you can define yourself about what God says about you. And what he knows of you. But the two are incompatible, right? It's one or the other. And temptation comes when I stop identifying myself as Christ identifies me. And I look at myself as others and as I look at me, what I think. And secondly, temptation comes when I don't trust in the sufficiency and the grace of God. God has said, I will supply all your needs according to the riches in glory. And when I'm tempted, what am I doing? I'm saying, God, you're not really going to supply what I need. I have to do this myself. Lord, I need this, and you're not going to give it to me. So I'm going to go get it. 
Lord, I don't trust you. I don't trust that you're going to supply everything I need. Lord, I'm going to take matters into my own hands because I simply don't trust what you're saying to me. That's temptation, isn't it? Look at what happens to Jesus. It says it's the beginning of the good news, the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Matthew 4.3, what does Satan say to him? Hey, if you're the Son of God. Mark starts his gospel, this is the Son of God. And the devil says, you know what? Nah, not really. Not really. You may think you are, but no, 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 no. And they said, if you're the son of God, turn, turn this, this stone into bread then. And if you're the son of God, then jump off the top of this, the, the, the temple peak and, and you'll be okay. Or if you're the son of God, bow down before me. See, the Satan will always, when temptation comes your way, question your identity. If you're a son of God, if you're a daughter of God, dot, 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 dot. Are you really? Are you really a son of God? Are you really a daughter of God? Are really all the blessings of God coming your way? Because I don't see it. And it causes you to question your identity. And that's what Satan did in the, in the wilderness to Jesus. He kept on picking away at him, saying, you're not really you haven't done anything yet. You haven't proved it yet. You haven't shown it to anybody yet. You're not really who you say you are. So why don't you just come and do what I'm asking you to do? You know you want it. You've been 40 days. You're hungry. A little bit of bread. Prove it. That's where temptation. That's the core of temptation. And we need to recognize that every time we're tempted. It's not about the external things that we're tempted with. It's not about the, the cake or the look or the anger or the pornography or the, the drugs or the, the alcohol or the, the, the cravings for, for job satisfaction or for relationship or this, that and the other. Whatever we're tempted with. It's not about that. It's about me and it's about my identity and who I really am. Is my identity locked up in Christ or is my identity locked up in what I think of myself or what other thinks of me? Where is my identity? That's where it's locked. So the question then is, how, how do we overcome temptation? We know that Jesus did how, how do I overcome temptation? Because it keeps on coming. It keeps coming. What do I do to fight it? Well, we do what Jesus did. Firstly, you have to believe the truth. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, training, rebuking, correcting in righteousness so that the man, the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Firstly, which truth are you going to believe in? Are you going to believe in what God says about you? Or are you going to believe in what you say or other people have said about you? Which truth are you going to believe in? Are you going to define your life by what other people have done to you? Or you've done to yourself? Or are you going to define your life by what God says about you? 
how he loves you. We sang it this morning over and over again, how he loves you. How vast as the ocean on the mound of crucifixion, right? How he's shown his love for you. Are you going to allow your life to be defined by what he says about who you are? Or are you going to define your life by other people? Which truth? There is only one. But are you going to believe the lie of other people? Or are you going to be, believe the truth of God? That is the fundamental question that you have to ask yourself. And every time temptation comes, you need to think. You need to state in the Word of God, no, I'm going to believe the truth about who God is and what God has said about me. I am loved, even if I don't feel love. I am special because God has said I am special. I am holy. I am different. I am separated. I am an overcomer because God has given me all the tools to be an overcomer. I am someone that can make a difference in this world because God in his power wants to use me to make a difference in other people's lives. I am someone who can achieve something because God wants to give me all the delights of my heart and he wants to pour his grace into me and through me so that I can accomplish everything that he has in store for me. What are you going to believe when temptation comes? Because temptation will seek to put you back in that box that says you're rubbish and you're nothing and you're worthless and why even bother? Secondly, worship. Jesus said it when Satan came. He said, worship the Lord. You know, the great thing about worship is that when you worship, it lifts you from where you are back up to God. Temptation brings you down, right? You can't be tempted while you're worshiping God. You know what I mean? You stand in church, right? I remember when I was single. Used to stand in church. Used to look around at all the young ladies that were there, that were available. You can't do that in worship, can you? Impossible, right? Where do we put the lights out? It helps us to worship sometimes. Because we don't get distracted by other people. But you can't, you can't worship God and be tempted at the same time. When I'm worshiping God, I'm not thinking about cake, right? I'm thinking about God. When I'm worshiping God, I'm not thinking about how angry I am or how somebody has irritated me or this, that, and the other. I'm just thinking about God. When I, when I sing, I, I just close my eyes. Here is love vast as the ocean, right? We just lift ourselves. And we just go, Lord, I, I just want to worship you in this moment. It may all flood back in after I've finished worshiping, but while I'm worshiping, it takes me from where I am and it puts me... Somewhere completely different. And so when temptation comes, start worshipping. You know, you've all got your favorites, right? 10,000 reasons. Okay? You know the words. Just sing it. 10,000 reasons for my heart. Right? Off you go. It's your favorite. Then sings my soul, my Savior God. It's your favorite. Sing it. 
When temptation is there, sing it. Best thing, when you walk down that street and there's temptation, just start singing praises to God. Who cares how ridiculous you look if it, if it takes away the temptation? Sing praises. Jesus says, no, worship the Lord. Because that will, get, that will take away that urge and that temptation from you. Worship. Believe what he says, worship. Thirdly, reaffirm your foundation. Matthew 26, 42. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, not my way, but your way be done. God has a way for you. God has a pathway for you. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says. And as he had a pathway for him, so he's given you a pathway. And a way that will bring blessing and honor to God. And blessing and honor to you as you follow the pathway God has for you. And the question is, are you going to follow that pathway or are you going to be disobedient from it? You reaffirm that foundation. Reaffirm the pathway and say, God, no, I don't want to go into temptation. I don't want to fall right now because if I do that, then I'm going to move away from the pathway that you have set for me. And I'm going to limit the blessing that you're going to pour in my life if I do that. And I don't want that. It might be a hard pathway. Jesus' went to the cross, right? There's no other, no harder pathway. And people who tell you that if you're in Christ, your pathway becomes easy and it's full of health and wealth and this and that and the other, it's just rubbish. Because I don't read that in the pages of Scripture at all. You show me one person where that's true for. Now, God wants to bless us. Yes, absolutely. But I don't see easy pathways for the people of God, Old Testament or New Testament. I see people going through challenges and going successfully through them because God is with them. And that's the pathway He leads us on. Because ultimately, the, the biggest goal of God is not your and my happiness. It's intimacy. God wants intimacy with you and me. That brings joy and that brings vibrancy in our relationship with Him and that brings happiness in us. But happiness, in the way we define it, is not the goal. And so health and wealth and all these other things are not what God is, is primarily concerned about in that sense. He's concerned about that intimacy, that relationship. And you know when you're a parent, if you were just to give everything to your children because you think that's what they asked for, it's not good. You say, no, this is not for your benefit. No, this is not good. This is not going to help you if I just pile out gift after gift after gift just because you asked me. You set limits on it, and God does that for you and me. Why? Because He is good, and He loves you, and He wants intimacy with you, and He wants the best for you. And he sees into the whole of eternity and he says, David, I see it all and I know what's really good for you. I know what's the best for you. I know, I know even though it's hard for you right now, even though you're like a little child that says, yeah, but I want this. He says, no, no, not right now. You're not ready for it. Or no, because it's not ultimately good for you. Trust me. I'm your father. Trust me. I'm the one that loves you. Trust me. I'm the one that knit you together. Trust me because there is no greater love than my love for you. Trust me because I showed it on the cross of Jesus Christ. Trust me. Even when you don't understand, trust me. 
And we reaffirm that foundation and we say, God, I do trust you. I don't understand it. And you know how I'm struggling right now. And you know how I want these things that are tempting me right now. And you know it's difficult for me. But Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. And then fourthly, accept godly assistance. He sends assistance to us. At the end it says, and he sent his ministering angels. God sends assistance in his word. Hebrews says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, right? Cuts, bone. It can separate things. It can show you the heart of God. He sends assistance when you, when you tend to get into the Word and just say, I'm going to read the Word. I'm just going to open my Bible app on my phone or whatever. I'm just going to read something. Lord, just get me rooted back in your Word. Remind me of your promises. Lord, thank you. Thank you. And the Word of God is a great comfort when we're, when we're being tempted. Jesus, what did he, how did he respond? He responded in the Word of God because the Word of God is a rock. It's a foundation. You can rely on the promises of God. No, God's word has said this. I am relying on that. That is my foundation. And we use the God of word, the God's word when we're tempted. And also pray. Ask Christ. Ask God to help you. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we don't have a great high priest who is unsympathetic. We have one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. We have someone that's gone through the same journey in Christ, who understands, who is sympathetic with where we're feeling. He understands what temptation is all about. He understands the power of temptation. He understands it more than you and me. He even was so tempted that he had a sweat blood out of him. Now, I've been tempted, but I've never sweated blood in my temptation, to choose a different pathway than the pathway God had. He understands. He understands when we mess up. He knows when we fall in that temptation and we go, Lord, I've done it again. And he goes, I know. It's okay. Stop beating yourself up because you've done it again. Hey, I've had a history of the people of Israel and they did it over and over again and I still brought my grace. I understand. I understand. It's not that we have a God that just sits up on a throne and judges us. We have a God that has journeyed the same journey that you and me take. And he was tempted just as we are. And yet he didn't fall, but he's sympathetic when we do. Because he knows how weak we are sometimes. And he knows that sometimes... We look in the mirror and we say, no, I'm going to be defined by all these other people and by what I think about myself rather than about what God says to me. And he waits for that moment when I come back to the mirror and say, Lord, I'm sorry for defining myself like that. Let me look again and see what you are saying about me. And let me reaffirm the truth about who I am. Pray to the great high priest. Get on your knees when you're tempted and say, Lord, thank you that you understand. Help me. Help me as someone who overcame. I need the same 
power that you have to overcome. Help me. And thirdly, it said he sent ministering angels. In Hebrews 1, it talks about anybody that's a child of God, God will send ministering angels to. And those angels can be direct angels from heaven that come in all kinds of forms. Sometimes they're you and me, you know that? Sometimes the people around us are the angels that God sends. And they come and they just put their arms around us and they just say, hey, I'm with you. I love you. I'm not judging you. I'm not going to go and splurt out about how you're struggling to anybody else. I just want you to know I love you. And I understand. And I'm here for you and I'm praying for you. And I know it's tough. And I know it's hard. And can you love me too? And will you pray for me too? Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. So fulfill the law of Christ. It's about showing that love and being an angel of God to someone who needs it. Jesus, when he was sweating blood, did what? He said to his disciples, come, pray with me, will you? I need it. I need you to be a ministering angel right now. I need it. Because I can't do this on my own. And you and me need the same thing. If Christ needs it, how much more do we? How do you fight temptation? Believe the truth of God's word. Worship him. Reaffirm your foundation. No, I'm going to go God's way, not the other way. Not the easy way. Not the way that seems good to man, but actually will end up in a disaster in a place of regret and, and sadness and sorrow and shame. I'm not going that way because I know where it ends and it's just a lie. I am not going to go that way. And Lord, I need your help. I need your help from your word. Reaffirm those promises. Remind me of the promises of God. I need help from you, Christ, as I pray and the Holy Spirit as you come upon me. And I need help from your people, godly people around me that will support me and love me just as I am. One John four says this: "You dear children are from God and have overcome them, them being the evil spirits of this world." the temptations, the, the trials, the things that want to pull you away from God because the one who is in you is what? Greater than he who is in the world. Isn't that a tremendous promise? The one who is in you right now is greater than anything the enemy can throw at you in this world. The one who is in you right now is greater than any temptation that you struggle with. Anything that causes you to fall and to go away from Christ and to feel that shame and that sorrow and that, that brokenness, Christ is greater. The Spirit of God is greater. So draw on the greatness of God today.
Father, thank you for your word to us today. Lord, you know we all struggle. We hide it. I don't want anybody else to know my struggles. We hide it until we can't. But we're human. And we all struggle with temptation. And Lord, really, we struggle with our identity. If we're honest, that's what it's all about. And I choose to believe the lie that is so embedded in me about what others say or have said and what I feel rather than what you say and what you feel. Father, I'm sorry. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from that evil pathway that says I'm something less than the David that you died for. And Father, may I know that he that is in me is way, 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 way greater than he that's in the world. And all I need to do is to to reach out and take that and know that and allow you to overcome my struggles. Temptation will always be there. It never goes away. And just as the Satan left Jesus for a short time, he kept coming back and back and back and back and back until in the garden and on the cross Until you were raised again when you defeated. And as Colossians says, you chained him in chains so that he cannot have full reign ever again. Father, give me help today. If I'm struggling, help me. Help me overcome my temptations. Because I want to be like Jesus. I thank you that you have authority over temptation. Because you have been tempted in every way. But you overcame. Help me to be an overcomer too. For I ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.